0: welcome to another edition of the team turnbuckle wrestling podcast on the ivy sports podcast feed this week or this edition we will be covering smackdown and raw from this last week i am your host keith fleming with me as always is my tag team extraordinaire the axe to my smash ronald tensley ronald how you doing buddy
1: Doing pretty good this morning, brother. How you doing,
0: man? I cannot complain before we get into Smackdown. I just want to remind everyone that the IB sports podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and anchor. We would really appreciate if you would subscribe to know when new podcasts are coming out. We would also greatly appreciate if you would rate and review uh, this podcast feed five stars, please be kind Finally, you can follow Ivy Sports on Twitter, Instagram, or join the Facebook group that is blowing past 4,000 members currently. Uh, The Facebook group does have a premium package or membership that allows you to do things like um, get your post through without the approval of an admin. You can be commissioner for a day, levy fines, and you receive gambling picks from our gambling guru, Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy, and much, much more, right now this is difficult we're going to start with something on smackdown that and i don't i don't say this lightly may have been the most offensive segment storyline i've seen from wwe in a long time and that is Pretty saying, tasteless that is saying something it was tasteless um it began with an angle that I, i'm not going to go into great detail with it because it just it, it upset me um You started out SmackDown with there was a car wreck outside. You saw Elias had been hit with a car. You find Jeff Hardy dazed in the bushes, and the announcers made the comment that he smelled of alcohol. Uh, This led to Elias not being able to compete in his semifinal match against Daniel Bryan. Uh, Sheamus has shown saying this is the fifth or sixth incident of Hardy having alcohol-related issues. He would call Hardy a junkie, I and mean, this was just tough stuff. It eventually would lead to how would they have the other semifinal match. It was discussed that it would be Daniel Bryan versus Sheamus versus Corbin to face AJ Styles in the final, but the Usos rightly pointed out that, to be fair, all those guys had lost, and why should they get an extra uh, opportunity and you know other guys in the locker room should not. So they ended up having a ten man battle royal to face Brian on this episode of SmackDown uh, for that final spot in the IC tournament. It, it really was one of the low points in WWE programming. It doesn't need to be reminded that Jeff Hardy has fought demons uh, and has had issues with alcohol and drug drugs is in you know pretty much his entire adult life. And for them to use this to further a storyline, I just thought it was disgusting. And I I do understand that Hardy probably had to sign off on this, but as somebody whose father runs an alcohol and drug rehabilitation program, it's just, to me, it's not something to joke about. It's not something to use as a storyline. Am I overreacting to this?
1: Absolutely not. Um, I thought it was in horrible taste, um especially in light of the dark side of the ring episode that came out that uh, about the road warriors that um you know really detailed how uh road warrior Hawks alcohol and drug use really um, kind of ended their their amazing career before it should have been done, those guys likely could have had more time. Um, I'm sure some of the the partying and such that he did probably had a little bit to do with his unfortunate early um, death. So considering that there's a vast array of fans of wrestling and wrestling entertainment, that's one of those things that I really feel should be untouched.
0: I I completely agree. And, you know, we'll talk about in a little bit that I actually think, even though I didn't agree with how they got there, they built two good storylines out of this, but I just felt like they could have done this another way without, you know, and, and maybe it's unfair to say that they're making light of it, but to me, it just looks like it diminishes something that is, you know, something millions of Americans and, and people all over the world struggle with on a daily basis.
1: Totally, totally. And, you know, I know that it was definitely shared in the group how his brother Matt was like, and this uh, tweeted, this is why I'm happy where I am. And as um, we were kind of told that this is why he took a pay cut because um, artistic creativity means a lot to these performers and to be able to say, no, I will not use a personal storyline like this to further uh, a program. It just says a lot. So Seamus wound up ending, winning the, the battle Royal Keith just mentioned, which is fine for what it was. Neither of us are were really delighted about the segment that led to it. So it leads to Daniel and uh, Daniel Bryan and Sheamus for the final spot in the Intercontinental Title match later on against AJ Styles.
0: Why don't you go ahead and we'll just go over that too. We'll, we'll come back to the Cesaro since we're we're right there.
1: Certainly, certainly. So um, in that match, it was actually a really fantastic match. Not really a surprise to Keith and I. Sheamus' 18-second win at Mania 28 started the Daniel Bryan authority angle storyline in the two out of three falls match at the Money in the Bank immediately following WrestleMania 28 is really one of the more underrated matches in uh, WWE history. Yeah, it was. And, you know, even though I was out, you know, that that was one of those ones that you got a peek in. Really fantastic work. So the match on SmackDown was back and forth. Um, What was most interesting about it, Sheamus was setting up for the brogue kick. And what looked like a win when Jeff Hardy comes down the ramp sober and they had to point that out.
0: I love how they pointed it out.
1: Right. Oh. And it's like um how would you know cuz you guys were on wait on the other side but you know okay sure. So um so that led to a big enough distraction for Daniel Bryan to hit the running knee and get the win. Um you and I can probably agree that the execution was distasteful, but setting up this feud and the uh tournament final with Daniel Bryan is and AJ Styles is going to impress no doubt are you excited about the possibility of the two storylines that they did uh, introduce here
0: like I said it makes me sick the way they got here uh, because I just think there was other ways to do it whether it be you know Seamus attack Jeff Hardy because he's upset you know about losing to him uh, you know in the IC uh, title tournament but you know I, I will say that They made Seamus look strong, which I was kind of surprised. You know, they had him lose to Hardy. We talked about this, I think, about a month ago when they showed they were pairing these two guys up, that you got Seamus and Jeff Hardy, both are guys that, you know, they've won world titles. They've done it all. And for them both to be returning and then, you know, spending a lot of time and attention and highlighting their return, it was unusual to pair them together because, obviously, somebody would have to lose – Sheamus did in the IC title tournament, but then to come back and you have a, you know, heated rivalry between, you know, obviously Sheamus and Jeff Hardy, because Sheamus, uh, you know, let's be straight up here, tried to get Hardy arrested. And with his previous issues, if you're, if you're getting into real life here uh, you know, Hardy could go to jail for a considerable amount of time. I'm sure with all the DUIs and stuff he's had in his life. So I am excited about that. That's going to be personal. I don't know how you can't be excited about Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles for the IC title. It is interesting. I don't know if you're aware of this. You know, They taped that match already, and no one has leaked the finish, thank God, but I have read numerous places that the AJ Styles-Daniel Bryan match that is the finals match of this IC title tournament is so good that it was all people talking about in WWE for almost four or five days after that taping. So yes, I am extremely excited to see the conclusion of this tournament, see who they end up having win if it's AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan. And, you know, I am excited about the Jeff Hardy Seamus feud because it's personal now.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when we first started discussing this and we were definitely like, um, what are they going to be able to do? They have turned something from nothing. Um, not impressed with them using, you know, Jeff's personal life to do so, but at least they uh, brought the sizzle, which is going to make it interesting to watch going forward.
0: So one other match on SmackDown that came out of the Battle Royal to get into the spot that Sheamus had was uh, between Cesaro and Shorty G. I, I still can't believe we're calling Chad Gable Shorty G. But that, that's, <laughs> this is where we are. Uh Cesaro had said backstage that Shorty was not worthy of being an IC champ. You know, obviously this led to a match. Gable came out very quickly hitting a spinning heel kick and a really pretty moonsault. Gable is, in my opinion, one of the more underrated in-ring guys. Uh, and obviously when you go up against Cesaro, that's going to be highlighted because Cesaro is also great, but Cesaro would dominate the, the rest of the match, which makes sense with the size disparity. He hit him with a big clothesline, a gut wrench suplex, and a powerbomb. And then when going for a second powerbomb, Shorty G turned it into a roll-up for the win. Uh, we'll talk about this a little later because that's going to keep coming up. I'm a little tired of the roll-up wins in WWE. It seems like they've, they've gone a little haywire with all of them lately. But – uh You know, shorty G has a ton of potential. We saw already several pushes for him that kind of get paused or don't go anywhere. And if this was a win over anyone, but Cesaro, I would think, okay, maybe they're starting a new push, you know, for shorty G, but Cesaro kind of like Ziggler and, and some of those guys that are great in the ring, but they just seem to be punching bags or guys that, you know, quite frankly, are jobbers, especially with all the releases that they made recently Is there? Do you think there's any chance this is a push for Shorty G, or is this just kind of a one-off type deal?
1: I don't know because you know, like you said, I, I don't particularly care for the Shorty G name. Chad Gable's got a lot of talent in the ring, you know, for a man of his size, and we all know, especially considering what we're seeing out of both AEW, NXT, and Pretty much everywhere. Size doesn't mean anything if you can tell a great story in the ring. So I think that there's a possibility that maybe Shorty G will be one of those guys who may challenge for the IC title, depending on whether or not they we have a feud brew off of the winner of the Styles and Bryan match. But I can see a push coming for him because he does have the talent. You know, there will always be a way to kind of poke fun at his stature to kind of keep the push, keep him kind of driven and motivated. So let's – I'm always, you know, an op- – the optimist. So I, I'm optimistic that they'll have something good in store for him moving towards the summer.
0: I would love that. The next segment was honestly my favorite on SmackDown and Mine one too. Of my favorite of the week. So the New Day was on a moment of bliss. Uh, it was the normal, silly stuff. Nikki Cross actually. <laughs> made them some pancakes. Uh, I mean, it, you know, just the typical silly stuff. That's not why we're talking about this. It got really interesting when both teams started talking about the top contenders for their tag team titles. As you know, both these teams are tag champions on SmackDown. The New Day mentioned the Forgotten Sons, which I love to see, because that's them putting over the Forgotten Sons without them even being involved in the segment. That That's always smart on WWE's pa- uh, part. But when Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss were asked the same question by the New Days, they mentioned the Iconics, which makes sense because that's who they've been feuding with. And then of course, Bailey's music hit because, you know, Bailey has reached that point where she is so egotistical. If it's not about Bailey, she ain't happy. Her and Sasha came out. Bailey made the comment that they were disrespected and pointed out uh, that, you know, they could take the titles. Well, then Cross pointed out and one of the, Greatest burns of all time. Yeah. It was. Uh, that Sasha, you're the only woman in this ring without gold around her waist, which continues Ooh. to play out their split. You know, <laughs> her being a lackey, it was a really great comment. Obviously, Sasha did not like that. Uh, she responded that, you know, we can take those tag titles anywhere, anytime. Bailey then nominated Sasha to face Alexa Bliss. You could see on Sasha's face, she was not happy about this. Mm-hmm. This is the second or third time in recent weeks that Bailey has kind of said, Okay, Sasha, I'm volunteering you to take care of my, you know, sort of light work. Uh, you know, the Bailey Cross match was not, or excuse me, the uh, Sasha and Alexa Bliss match was not anything to write home about. It didn't help that the Bailey and Nikki Cross arguing on commentary was probably more entertaining than what was going in the ring. Uh, it was so, you know, just funny and heated and crazy that at one point Michael Cole busted out laughing when describing Cross's enthusiasm, which she has also been great during this stretch. Uh, eventually, Bailey would get involved in the Sasha-Alexa match. She would cause a distraction, allowing Sasha to hit the bank statement and pick up the W. You know, I've talked at length. We've talked at length at how we've been against the slow burn, but now that they're starting to almost every week have, you know, little bits of, you know, seeds of doubt between the two of them. And more importantly, having other wrestlers being the ones, you know, taking the shots at Sasha. I'm starting to get really fired up for this because I think it's just going to reach a point where Sasha just can't take it more anymore. And she explodes on Bailey.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. Um, So hopefully maybe we'll finally get the end of this somewhere, hopefully around SummerSlam. Uh, Great segment. I I tell you what, between what happened with the Iconics and this past week, Nikki Cross is starting to uh, get on the radar a little more with other mm-hmm. with with everyone else, and I'm really happy for uh, the way she's come along ever since her and Alexa paired up. Because I honestly thought it was going to be something where uh, Alexa did her normal thing where she used somebody until you know she double crossed them and, and in this case, it didn't happen. And we actually it helped develop Nikki Cross uh, quite well. To the Sasha and Bailey thing, um, it almost plays into what we were talking about uh, with Charlotte, where it has to be Sasha that's going to be the one who eventually faces Bailey and maybe wrest that uh, SmackDown women's title away from her. But I am totally excited about what's going to happen. Um, You know, they set up a match for the tag championships this coming uh, Friday. So hopefully we'll get a little more uh, gas on this fire that's burning. So I'm really looking forward to uh, what they got going on.
0: One more thing. You know, Mm -hmm. you you mentioned Nikki Cross, and I would have never guessed she would be a great face. But she has been. It's it's sort of like Asuka to a certain extent that you can Mm -hmm. tell she's being herself it's coming across good. And kind of to you know, back up your point about Alexa, Alexa's such a good heel that they may end up being able to really build Nikki as a single star by still having what you thought was going to happen, just delaying it longer. And I think many thought when they got paired up that eventually Alexa's going to turn on her, you know, go back to her heel ways, and then hopefully make Nikki Cross an even bigger singles, you know, babyface star out of it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I could see that uh, maybe a, a year or two down the road that she'll be actually contending for her own spot for a shot at a women's championship. Speaking of other contenders, Sonya Deville um also with a, a little bit of tweak to her appearance. I thought she looked fabulous. She
0: looks great.
1: Um, She cut another great promo before her and Lacey Evans fought to a double count out. Now, this just goes into what I was talking about, about who will be contending for the SmackDown women's title. So I think that in this light that they're trying to build Sonia a little more and I'm really liking it. Um, She's really showing what she's made of. And I think that there's an immediate bright future for Sonia DeVille. What did you like about that promo?
0: She just has so much passion and anger right now which I don't think there's a lot of that in the women's division. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Becky Lynch when she turned heel and then, you know, subsequently turned face or tweener, whatever you want to call it. It reminds me a lot of that where Sonia's just fed up. She's like, I'm better than all these other women. I don't get the attention that they get. And, and I've just had enough. And I love it. And I also want to give WWE a lot of credit. And we're going to talk about Mandy Rose here before we, we get done with the SmackDown part of it, that, you know, they had this breakup, they had this big feud, and I was really worried that only one woman would come out on top. I think you remember me saying that I was disappointed that Andy Rose got, you know, two or three wins over Sonia. Well, they've obviously both kind of moved on. It's still there for if they want to use it down the line, and it didn't diminish either one of these women. They're both doing bigger and better things than they were together. <laughs>
1: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Sonya is definitely one of those talents that I feel, especially what they've been doing with this Mandy Rose storyline. She's definitely a woman to watch throughout the remainder of the year. And I hope that they start, you know, giving her a little bit more of a push.
0: So one other thing to talk on SmackDown before we get to Raw, Mandy Rose and Otis had (laughs) a great great. on-site package. Uh, First off, for those that – and, I mean, I'm sure most WWE fans this went over their heads, but uh, Fast Times at Richmond High has, <laughs> has the pool scene where, you know, the, the girl comes out of the pool, the guy is watching from the restroom, and it, it's it's an iconic scene from the 80s if you haven't seen it. Well, they're laying by the pool, and Mandy Rose takes a nap, and I just love that they played it this way. <laughs> she is dreaming about Otis coming out of the pool, much like the beautiful woman in Fast Time at Richmond High, <laughs> shaking his hair, you know, in slow motion. So that was really funny. The other interesting thing to me about this was, you know, they were at a pool sipping peach champagne with fruit. This kind of, to me, feels a little heelish. And I think I am, like, all in now on these guys turning heel and Otis, you know, cheating or doing something nefarious, to get the title and use the briefcase. I think these guys would be better as a heel pairing than they would a face pairing. What do you think?
1: They would be. And honestly, it could create another storyline um, because you know we haven't seen Tucker on television in a few weeks or whatever so yep. if they did go with the heel angle it would work great because then you would have Tucker fighting for his boy to get his boy back and saying hey you know she's ruining everything everything we had going on what is that? so I think it would turn into a fantastic thing if they went heel I remember when you mentioned it and you know I started letting the wheels spin on that and Looks like WWE is letting the wheel spin on that just a little bit as well. And I am with it.
0: They're at least teasing it, which is good. Uh, it needs to be said, SmackDown again had a really good rating. Uh, it was over 2 million people. I- I've been a little surprised that SmackDown's rating is so much better than Raw, uh, particularly with Roman Reigns out. They haven't been highlighting. Stroman or, or Bray Wyatt lately, but they do also have, in my opinion, more star power than Raw right now, but, uh, on the Raw side, let's get to, uh, Seth Rollins opened the show bragging again about ending Ray stereo's career, uh, he, again, used the words that he did it for the greater good. Uh, he said that he knew that Mr. 619 – I'm getting a lot of feedback right now. Are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. Okay. I, I realized no, you're that.
0: you're good. <laughs> you're good. Okay, so uh, Seth Rollins opened Raw bragging again about ending Ray Mysterio's career. He used the words that he has several times uh, over recent weeks that it was for the greater good – He also said he knew that Mr. 619 wouldn't have it in him to retire him, so he did him the favor of making the decision for him. Uh, Seth is just peak hill right now. He then played a mocking retirement video that was interrupted by Aleister Black. You know, I told you I wasn't sure about the Ray-Seth feud because I just feel like Seth, and this is no offense to Ray Mysterio, is above Ray at this point in Ray's career, but I am loving what they're doing right now with the retirement angle. We're going to hit this back again later in the show because they actually had two segments on it. What do you think about this? And obviously, Aleister Black being the the kind of foil in Seth Rollins, you know, teasing Rey Mysterio right now.
1: Man, when you first started talking about Seth Rollins being like on top of his game and one of the best as much as I've been, you know, really huge. I do apologize. I'm working outside this morning because it's just, Um, I've been a huge Chris Jericho guy lately feeling that pretty much everything that he does touches uh, that he touches turns to gold. And I didn't really want to hear you about Seth Rollins. Seth is turning this Messiah angle into something very watchable and quite entertaining. I'm really excited about what he's going to be doing uh, now that he's building a stable. So, yeah, I am totally about it. And in the way that they use him throughout the night is pretty much what's carrying Raw right now.
0: And they need him to because there's not a lot of star power. So, you know, they're asking him to step up and he's
1: doing it. Totally. So based off of that, Seth Rollins and Alistair Black had the first match of the night in a really fantastic opening match. Seth took control early with well-timed distractions from his stable, you know, Buddy Murphy and Austin Theory. And just as the numbers game appeared to give Black no chance, Humberto Carrillo came to his defense. After they came back from the break, Seth hits a sling blade for a near pin. Black would hit a wicked kick and then a suplex only to have Rollins answer with the Falcon arrow and attempt to frog splash. But Alistair did get his knees up. He gets on an arm breaker that Rollins would e- could only break with a power bomb. Moments later, Humberto picked a fight outside with Austin Theory and Buddy Murphy, allowing Black to score a roll-up win. Seconds after the bell, Seth and the Disciples would beat down both Black and Humberto. It was a great way to end the segment strong. Are you excited about how they have this angle um, moving right now?
0: I'm very excited about the angle. I love the Alistair Black Seth Rollins feud. But if I'm if I'm being honest, there's a couple of things about this you know that bothered me. One, I don't understand when Alistair Black and Seth Rollins is a very fresh feud why would you have this match on Raw? Like, why not tease this up and have, you know, because this ended up being a 15, 20-minute match. Mm -hmm. Like, why not save this for the pay-per-view? And then secondly, if you're going to have Aleister Black go over, because it's a big win, I'm sick of the roll-up being basically the only way upset wins seem to happen lately. Like, he's Aleister Black. You know what I mean? Like it's not Mm -hmm. a distraction could lead to his finisher and a one, two, three. That doesn't make Seth look any weaker. I just think it makes Aleister Black look a little weaker when it's like even with a distraction, the only way he can beat Seth Rollins is with a roll up.
1: Yeah. And it makes no sense, especially, um, you know, you and I definitely talked about how huge we have been on him over the past year, Alistair Black's got a lot of talent and yeah, why couldn't it be that fade to black off the distraction? I I would have loved it playing well more with a clean win than using the roll-up. It's weird how, you know, a month's time changes it because, you know, we had talked about, Hey, they brought back the small package, but now they're using the small package way too much. So it, it was a great match and they, they just kind of could have used a better spot to end it.
0: And I just, and not to, again, not to, I know they got a fill time. I know there's a lot, you know, going on. They don't have a full roster right now, but I just hope the match at the pay-per-view is at least of the quality of this match. Cause it was a really good match. And sometimes I think it makes it difficult for these guys to have a great match at a pay-per-view when they fight over and over and over again on TV.
1: Yeah, it it really does. And I would hope that if they're going to continue with uh, everyone involved, give us a, a nice big, like either give me a nice big one-on-one, like you said, at the pay-per-view. But I have a feeling that it's more going to lead towards a, a tag team match where we get the disciples um, getting a little momentum going.
0: So, next we had the new U.S. champion, Apollo Cruz came out. And out of gratitude, because, you know, KO had a lot to do with him, you know, getting back at Andrade and also winning the U.S. title, and said he wanted to give Owens a shot at the belt. Owens said he didn't deserve one, because you remember he lost to Garza last week, and he didn't want to end Cruz title reign so quickly. Uh, but he would reluctantly accept Oma... <laughs> Owens almost scored a pin early in the match and at one point teased a low blow, which personally I would love to see K.O. go back to the heel, uh, which I think is his best version of himself. This upset Cruz and a fist fight spilled outside the ring. Cruz would then back in the ring score a near fall late, followed by Owens trying to hit a senton, but Cruz got his knees up. At that point, Garza and Andrade rushed to the ring, causing a double DQ uh it's so funny i i I watched this raw taped and i literally wrote this down watching it as i was you know going through the show i will give creative credit for advancing the story without another tag team between these four but what happened next (laughs) ronald
1: so spoke too soon after the break we get Apollo Crews and KO versus Andrade and Garza. And there was nothing really special, but, you know, we spent 30 minutes of a three-hour show. Jesus, that's what, one-sixth of the show on a storyline we're really not invested in. The heels dominated the match. They re-injured Owens' knee, leaving him helpless at ringside. Eventually, Crews would battle back and hit a powerbomb to pick up the win for him and KO, while also pinning Drade, Are we being too hard on this angle?
0: I, I got to say no, only because just look at my notes. Like I said, I did mm-hmm. not watch this live. I had it taped. And I'm, I'm literally giving credit to WWE creative for not doing the same old, same old with these competitors.
1: And then hit and the brakes.
0: <laughs> and then they do it coming out of commercial break. And it's like, We need something to be invested because KO is the only exception of these four guys that he has enough of the track record, enough of, you know, feuds and stuff to where I'm completely invested in him. The other three guys, you know, I need to get invested. And I'm more interested in a potential Apollo Crews KO feud, which I think that would get Apollo – a lot more momentum than fighting, again, Garza and Andrade, who, again, all these guys are great in the ring, but their characters are kind of stale.
1: Yeah, um, uh, and as as much as I would love to see something further, and that's what really disappointed me about this, because I was excited, like, oh, shoot, they're actually going to kind of build Apollo up. Are they going to actually get him over using KO, which would have been good? You know, like you said, we weren't interested in the U.S. title with an Apollo cruise, I'm sorry, Apollo, you, you, you do do fantastic work, but you haven't shown us enough to be like, yeah, this is a guy who I'll, I'm happy to watch uh, develop the strap. Um, I, I want to build the United States title back up. Like, can, can all of our championships mean something? And unfortunately, it seems like the U.S. title right now is the jobber title.
0: And they need to do what it appears is going to happen with the IC title or even what AEW is doing with the TV title. You give it to an established star, and then you have them battle every week with these young guys. And, yes, they're going to win over and over again, but it's not burying the younger talent. It's building them up by just being involved with an AJ Styles or a Daniel Bryan or a Cody Rhodes. And that's why KO would be a perfect U.S. champion. And then if Apollo Crews down the road defeats him, that's a big moment.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, I, I, I kind of want to skip this all together, but I do want to ask you this. They continue the terrible Street Profits, Viking Raiders, sports competition – segments that they've been having they went bowling i'm not talking about this thank you i was i was trying to think though if i'm being like super optimistic here are they setting up you know because i know the street uh, profits have i believe never beat the viking raiders in a wrestling match they're obviously losing at all these sporting events are they are they trying to set up for a big moment when the Street Profits beat the Viking Raiders that they're going to be doubting themselves and then they come through and, and retain the tag titles?
1: I'm hoping so. You know, you and I had spoke on it when the Profits first won the championships that they need to make these guys look strong and have them in meaningful feuds. The feud here is meaningful. How they're carrying it, playing it out right now... Uh, Uh, I don't know like you could have couldn't we have come up with a better way to build this up more I I don't know like we I mean even going back to the old break them up into singles matches you know every week something like that before going into a big pay-per-view you know I'm off for a little bit of comical spots in different segments these ones just aren't really doing it for me.
0: And they've dragged on for forever. Uh, And I think, and we're about to talk about the women's tag titles. I'm almost to the point where I think the men's tag titles, like the women's tag titles, need to be on both shows. And then that way, you're not going to get as stale with your matches. uh, Because I believe that's what's going on right now, is they don't want to show the Street Profits fighting the, the Viking Raiders over and over again on Raw. They've cut so many players. There's not a ton of tag teams on Raw. Uh, SmackDown still has a good bit, but not, you know, maybe seven, eight. And maybe that's the answer is they need to go back to one tag titles. It goes on both shows. And then, you know, they don't have to fight every Raw and SmackDown, but they could fight on SmackDown one week and, you know, Raw the next. And I just think it'd keep it fresher because, We both love the Street Profits. They haven't fought a tag team match now in like three or four weeks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that would be a phenomenal idea because that would definitely make the tag teams on both shows a little bit more hungry for going for their shot. So, Billy Kay of the Iconics defeated Nikki Cross in a singles match, furthering this tag rivalry for the uh, women's titles. Surprisingly, Billy dominated most of this match, continuing to show her physical, aggressive side, which we have seen by both Iconics since their return. I can't believe I am saying this even more. I'm happy to see the Iconics back. And they are really putting on a great show, which is kind of leading me to believe that uh Cross and Alexa hold on to the titles against Bailey and Sasha just so that they can further um push this rivalry they got going on. Are, are you were were you excited about this match? Because I loved it.
0: I think it's great that you know, I can't tell you the last time Billy Kay got a singles match. She was impressive, like really impressive in this match. And she's a, a fairly large woman. She's
1: a tall girl, yeah. Uh,
0: she, she can give, you know, a physical presence that a lot of ladies on the women's roster can't do. And I, I thought it was really – I love the way they've kind of tweaked the Iconics characters since they returned. They're still allowing them to be, the, you know, their loud selves – but they're allowing them to be more of a physical presence than, you know, just necessarily this sort of silly, you know, heel unit. And, you know, I said it when they came back. I love the Iconics because they're really good on the mic. And that in this business is as big as being, you know, big in the ring. Indeed. And I thought it was really unfair the way they treated them after they won the first tag titles. Now, people forget they beat Sasha and Bayley for the tag titles and then lost them – I don't know, maybe a month later, and it's like you beat the first tag team champions ever on the women's roster and two of the greatest well, you know, yeah. ever to do it. Like it should have been a bigger deal. So I'm hoping this ends up being the push that they didn't get last time.
1: Yeah, I, I would actually be quite all right with that. Um, they have shown great work um, they've definitely been in the gym during this entire time because oh, yeah. during, their t- during their tag matches they are looking so fluid um, like you and I say we love some good tag team wrestling and they are putting on great work right now I, I still can't believe I'm saying this but the, the Iconics are definitely something to watch right now
0: So next, we had a backstage segment with Rey Mysterio with his son, Dominic, by his side. He was giving an update on his health. Ray Mysterio was. He damned Seth Rollins for what he did to him and his family. He eventually stormed off, leaving only Dominic in front of the camera who said, Rollins, you're a man of scripture, so you better watch out for an eye for an eye. Uh, this appears to be leading to Dominic's official, you know, debut on WWE. I just can't get behind this yet. I don't know if he's earned a spot with Seth Rollins right off the bat. And maybe, you know, it ends up being a twist. Maybe Dominic ends up, you know, becoming a disciple. You know, I don't know, but I'm just not that excited about Dominic being brought in this right now. Let's let's stick with Alistair Block, Seth Rollins, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, because um, – even when they first started introducing him with the the Brock Lesnar angle last year, it was, I I didn't see anything that got me excited. Maybe this is something that they can use to kind of keep Ray um, on screen to build his son. But I'm, yeah, unfortunately not as excited about it either. Our truth did win the 24 seven title back from Gronk. I'm wondering where this story was going if Gronk did not come out of retirement. Did you think that Gronk was going to be kind of hanging about a little longer?
0: It's it's funny that that's the, the most intriguing part about this storyline that lasted, you know, granted, there was not really a lot of action for a couple of months, but from the time they made the announcement that Gronk was going to be at WrestleMania you know, until he lost the belt to our truth on Raw, like where were they going with this? I, I would like to think they probably had plans for Gronk to have a real match. Maybe it's SummerSlam or, you know, another big pay per view. But it's one of those deals that maybe we'll get lucky and it'll be on a WWE documentary one day. But other than that, this was kind of a wasted opportunity. But I am happy that r truth back is a twenty four seven champion. Because he's just so entertaining. He needs to be on TV. The 24-7 belt gives him that reason to be on TV each week. So, to me, that's a win.
1: Absolutely. Oh, gosh. So, Nia Jax faced Kyrie Sane again. Again, appeared to kill her many times. Um, I was so worried about when she had slammed her face on the apron on the hardest part of the ring, right on the edge. And then, while she was unprotected, face-first into the steel steps. Afterwards, Kyrie shared on social media that she was split open because of the timing into the stairs. My God, I literally shared a gift saying, I am scared for my life right now because Kyrie keeps getting put in these dangerous situations. So afterwards, she would get Kyrie back into the ring, hits her leg drop for the win. Asuka would then come in, chase Naya off. Why are they using Kyrie as the sacrificial lamb in this case?
0: It drives me crazy because she's almost like a damsel in distress here. You know, it, it reminds me of like, you know, they're treating Oscar like the Macho Man and Carrie Sane like Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> and it's like Carrie Sane is a great wrestler. She's too talented she's an for NXT this champion. Like she won the championship in NXT. She's a tag team champion. Like Yes, it's a mismatch when she faces Nia Jax. Nobody is denying that, but I just don't understand why they're making this the focal point uh, of, of their feud. And, and you know, like what you said, what I'm really worried about is she may end up getting killed, uh, you know, during this, you know, being a pawn in a storyline because – Nia Jax just seems to, I mean, I don't know what she did to Nia Jax, but it just seems like she wants to hurt her every time they get together. And I know there's a lot of people that get upset when you, you know, blast Nia Jax for being unsafe and, you know, they defend her and stuff. The It's just, it keeps happening again and again and again and again. And it's like, at some point you have to say, She's a dangerous worker. Like it's the the proof is in what you watch week in and week out.
1: Yeah, it, it is, and especially with Kyrie. I mean, Jesus, she's concussed Kyrie. She split her open, and I mean, I'm sure there was probably multiple concussions. We only got a report on one of them. I am tired of fearing for smaller competition against Nia. I, I get the fact that you want to have her as a bigger superstar of course she's in the uh the famous anoa family so you know being related to the rock and you know roman reigns in the crew i'm sorry she just she continues to scare me in there and it it really does make me wonder about why we keep the, continue to keep her around when she keeps putting others wrestlers in situations where they're going to get hurt. I mean, Jesus, she busted um, Becky's nose last month, and only because it turned into such an iconic spot, she didn't get into, she didn't catch much heat for it. I'm tired of seeing her hurting the the other competition.
0: So Randy Orton cut a promo for his upcoming match against Edge. I'm not going to call it the greatest wrestling match ever. I don't want to to a disservice to either one of those guys, but I thought it was fascinating. He admitted it to half-assing it at times in his career and how that drove Edge crazy because Edge had to fight and call for everything he got in WWE while obviously giving 100 percent. You know, despite Orton slacking at times, he said he was still greater than him and to no one's surprise said he would win the match at the upcoming pay-per-view. I these guys have put on a masterclass and you don't need a lot of bells and whistles. You just need to let two guys who can go in the ring and who can talk on the mic go. And I am so excited for this match at the pay-per-view. I'm a little worried again about the buildup of the greatest match ever, but if any two guys can deliver it's these
1: two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you said it perfectly because I remember we had spoken about when um, Charlie was interviewing one of them, and it was like, you were literally, you literally just became part of the backdrop. Like, you were not necessary. Put these, give a microphone to Edge and Orton and let them do what they do. They continue to show us exactly how to build up a storyline the good old fashioned way, two guys jawing it out building up a, a a great story just yeah it can't be anything but anticlimactic when you bill it as such but it's not going to be because these guys are we know they're going to put it down when they come in the ring i just hate the the little that they put on it
0: so the show closed with oscar facing charlotte uh